Welcome back to another international break episode of The Overlap. We have literally no footballing games to talk about, other than, of course, if you've been keeping up with the international break. And uh, as if you, you know, follow Rian on Twitter, you will know that he has certainly been watching some of these games and, of course, paying attention to the American talent as well as really generally top talent in Europe. So props to Rian. I have not been keeping up too much with it outside of the South American sphere for obvious reasons. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> what can only be described as capitalism in the Premier League uh, coming out from this past weekend. In Project Big Future, a major article coming out of The Athletic detailing a project for basically the top six teams in, in England and the championship. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the Champions League, which, shockingly, it comes back next week. The Champions League is coming back. So, Rian, how you doing, buddy? It's uh, It's been a couple days. I know you had a fun weekend. Rian, Rian just went to a club. See you. So all the police that are listening to this podcast should absolutely go after Rian. But no, no, Rian did not have a go to a club. But Rian, how's your weekend? <laughs> Putting words in your mouth. <laughs> no, no, I had a good, I had a good weekend. Uh, the little dancing in my backyard. Uh, Ellis, uh, alone, alone, by the way. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, usually yeah. You know, I, I always do a little dancing by myself when I can. <laughs> but, <laughs> of course, of course. You know, um, but no, uh, I know that Elias went and picked some apples over the weekend, so he was a. I'm sure you got a lot of good pictures there, but I'm sure that I will be seeing some pictures from that from this past weekend. You know, <laughs> for me is we didn't get too many pictures when we were apple pick i went uh down to jersey to apple pick with some friends but we didn't really get pictures there it's we got pictures like everywhere else like just sitting in a park having lunch and like just doing you know those sort of things nothing while we were, at, we were apple picking i will say i did lose a maze race at the uh the apple picking um farm that we went to and i was i was pretty livid about that so um, i still have nightmares about it. i want to talk about it but yeah it was fun otherwise <laughs> oh damn i mean i i don't know if i'll ever know if you're really there unless you post the pictures about it so you could be lying Dude, i no, i could be lying but i have made a conceited effort to like go on instagram less so I deleted it like from my social media folder, but it's like still on my phone. So I don't like see it. So my mind doesn't gravitate to it, but I've been oh, trying to do that with more social media. Yeah. I, saw, I yeah, watched, I watched the social dilemma last night or yeah, last night. And oh, uh, really? so, so yeah, I, mean, I could, I can completely understand anyone that wants to completely disconnect or at least disconnect oh, from sure. a couple apps, at least from a couple apps to start off. I could totally see why. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, um, I also, watched it a couple of weeks ago and I guess I wasn't really surprised by anything we learned, but like seeing it in front of you is just like, yikes. Yeah. So yeah, definitely trying to take a step, uh, take a step away from that, but I will not be t- stepping away from the podcast anytime soon. And, uh, God, the only soccer related stuff that I paid attention to this weekend was the project big picture news. And I don't, I spent like a solid half an hour reading up and listening to what the details of this actually are. In some ways, I don't fully understand it, but Rian, I know you probably spent a little more time than I did with this and trying to digest it. So can you, okay, just start from the beginning. What is Big Future? What the hell? First of all, it's a terrible name, but what is it? 
Project Big Picture. Yeah, Elias, you kind of described it perfectly with um, pretty much capitalism being fully t- fully introduced to uh, the Premier League or to European soccer. I mean, it's already been around, honestly, but to league-wise, league wow. Um, so basically, Project Big Picture brought to the forum because of well, pretty much the COVID issues, the financial issues that are being uh, faced by all of the clubs in England. And over the last few weeks, there's been a lot more discussions about how much do the biggest clubs, or particularly the Premier League clubs, how much do they owe to the lower league clubs in terms of what's their responsibility responsibility to help those clubs financially? Because I think it's hard to see as like people who the two of us, Elias, people who do not live in England and have not grown up um, following these teams as closely as people who actually live there. Right. And I <laughs> Wait, think a so lot of people would, are you saying that I'm not as <laughs> more well-versed at this than you? Cause I'm happy to bring her on instead. No, well, no, that's someone who grew up there. <laughs> so no, um, but now, so it, it's just, we obviously would not see as much the benefits of, Oh yeah. Every little club in, in, the footballing pyramid in England, it really does matter for everything else uh, for, sorry, for the Premier League as well. Like, we only really watch the big six to eight teams, right? And it's easy to kind of lose track of the fact that not just the 12 to 14 teams below that top six, but also there are almost 80 teams still in the, in that footballing pyramid that are going through the same financial hardships but at a much much more grave level because they don't rake in the same type of money and so project big picture is almost very similar to like a bill being brought to the congress floor here in the u.s it's it's a proposal to help out those efl clubs so that's the championship down to league two as well as the english fa and they're kind of what they call grassroots football. So yeah, everything from the youth level to um, the parts of the footballing pyramid in England that are below League Two, as well as money going to the women. So it's two hundred fifty million pounds to the EFL and a hundred million pounds to the FA plus uh, the women's Super League, I believe. So it, it, that's the first part of it. Is we're trying to help is being phrased as we're trying to help these lower league clubs. Cause one of the other thing that is in this documents are the Premier league right now receives about 92% of revenues that can be distributed among the, all of the English clubs, um, professional professionally. So it's 92% right now. And this also proposes a move to 25%, that 25% going to the, to the EFL. That is where we kind of, if we stopped there, if we stopped there, it'd be great. It would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, this all sounds great until you continue reading, basically. Right. And just like many bills that are brought 
to the Congress floor here in the U.S., there is always a catch, right? <laughs> um, one of the catches being, or well, sorry, there's a lot, really, but some of them, the important ones, no Community Shield. Who's going to miss that, I guess? Um, no League Cup, which as much as for the big teams, it doesn't matter that much. But if if you are Southampton or if you are a West Ham, a Burnley, or any championship club, that means winning that trophy means a lot. And the biggest shakeup would be moving to an 18 team Premier League as part of this pro- proposal. 18 teams in the first division and the next three divisions all going to 24, all staying at 24. So ultimately that means two of the clubs in league two would have to be just kind of shooed away because that those two, those two spots have to be made up somewhere in all of that. It would also mean the team that finishes 16th in the Premier league would go straight into a playoff, a promotion playoff with the third, fourth, and fifth teams in the championship at the end of the season. This gets worse. (laughs) The biggest, the biggest catch of all in all of this is that under this new formation um, of the English football pyramid, all new proposals in the Premier League would guarantee voting rights to the nine longest serving clubs in the Premier League, which includes the traditional big six plus for the time being, because this is the nine longest serving teams at any moment in time. So for the time being, it's, it's the traditional big six clubs plus Southampton, West Ham and Everton. And it would only take in any proposal two thirds of, votes of those nine clubs to legislate any sort of decision, any sort of proposal. And that's also as just the top six. (laughs) Yeah. You might as well, you might as well read (laughs) the six richest clubs. Uh, But (laughs) those proposals could include vetting new owners into the league. So if you could imagine a, Oh, I don't know. Newcastle coming in with a new with an owner as we saw over the summer that was a mess itself but imagine a newcastle owner that comes in that does not have human rights violations on their rap no that doesn't exist but continue (laughs) but imagine that these nine clubs again just read it as six would have the possibility of vetoing a new owner into the league. And let's just say that owner might potentially have as much or more money than those six clubs. I wonder how they would react to that. I'm sure they would do for the good of the team and not think about themselves at all. No, of course, of course. <laughs> Cause why, why wouldn't they? I mean, like I said, it's capitalism. <laughs> it, it really is. And I don't know. I don't know, Elias. It, it scares me a bit because I don't think ultimately that these all of these changes will be implemented. But it's just the way that it was proposed is so nefarious. I mean, you yeah, you hit the nail on the head, right? So overall, TLDR, the EFL chair 
and Liverpool and United and reportedly Chelsea and Arsenal are involved in these discussions to basically give more power to the top six by legislating, quite literally legislating, between the top powerhouses in England and inherently attempting, quote-unquote, to give money as kind of a a trade-off to the lower-level clubs in England. Those lower-level clubs, in theory, would benefit from that injection of cash. However, if they don't have qualitative, not quantitative, qualitative chances to become bigger teams in the same way that I think Leicester is an amazing example of this. If they don't have those chances based on legislative, a legislative body comprised of the top six teams, they will never make it to the point, say that Leicester did. So you're, if you're a Premier League fan of any club, this is not take away top six, take away bottom six. If you're a Premier League fan, one of the things that make the Premier League so attractive is two things. It's competitiveness and it's attraction of top talent. Both of those, I think, go hand in hand. So first of competitiveness, I think the Premier League would lose a massive amount of competitive nature by essentially creating an internal super league within the top six and doing away with right basically the other 12 teams that were proposed because the other 12 teams are going to be so much lower in quality because they're governed by the top six. Like that's exactly what's being proposed. And so your competitiveness is inherently going to go away. And in some ways, I think this is probably like the first step to an actual UEFA super league. So again, red flag number two, Attraction of top talent. If competitive, competitiveness decreases, then top talent will not want to come to England, right? As a Premier League fan, you will not get to enjoy top talent coming to the Premier League anymore. So as a neutral fan, it is one of the most negative things that I think can happen. If you're a fan of, you know, Manchester City, yeah, sure, maybe you can make an argument for your own personal initiatives that it's great. Other than that, I mean, this is people at the top. This is a prime example of people at the top that have maintained power for a long period of time, trying to grab more for the next generation of management that basically comes through. That's what I think this is ultimately about. So do do I think this will go through? Because I think that's kind of the ultimate question. I, I don't I don't know, but my gut tells me no. And I don't think it will go through because I think I, I think that there's a concentrated amount of power within the fan base of the Premier League. And I think because fans are so, you know, vehemently opposed to this, that there will be a lot of pressure on your executive chairmen of the world to not go through with such a drastic action that's so provocatively capitalistic, right? I, I think that would create a lot more backlash than people realize, or at least they realize. So yeah, TLDR, not great. <laughs> no, and I think you hit a really great point there, bringing up the Super League part of this, because I think what potentially scares me the most is that 
you take away that whole power grab, right, by the by the big six in this proposal, everything else is not a bad thing for these for these clubs. And right, and right. Puts them puts a lot of those clubs in a pretty impossible situation to say no to this because I mean I think that in um, a podcast I was listening to this morning, I think a great point in the sense that not every single club in the championship down to league two is gunning to be a Premier League club, right? Some of them are just trying to keep it ticking over and, and, and are not as ambitious as a Leeds who went out and, and was so aggressively trying to make it back into the Premier League. Many of these clubs are working at operating, trying to break even in their operating profits and losses. And some are just not that as ambitious to invest that much money as it takes to get into the Premier League, because that takes a gigantic financial loss. It just, that's just what it is. So this situation where these executives at the top clubs are basically trying to throw a little nugget to these clubs in, in, in a time when it is outstandingly difficult to make money and pay their own staff. They've thrown a little carrot to say, Hey, we've got something for you, but only if you do this. And, and what scares me the most is that in six, 10, however many years until a legitimate proposal for a super league comes, what scares me is that the, Big six or whatever it might be at that time, we'll look back on this time and say, well, don't say we didn't try to help you guys. And that's ultimately, I think, what is most terrifying about this and what makes it feel so much like a political grab, political move. Yeah. And, and I think you just touched on the last point that I want to make is that, like I said, this is the first step towards Super League. And the first, the first step is essentially, I don't say making themselves right the the Premier League top six the victims in all of this, but they they are trying to put on this performative act for the other clubs in in England to say here is your lifeline right. It's almost quote unquote welfare that I mean political welfare at this point. Then they can turn around in five years and say, well, we're going to go the other direction and try something different because you did not agree by what we had said. That's what's so capitalistic about this. So I, I don't know. Rian, do you think this is this is going to actually go through? No, I, I think ultimately they're still outside of those top six. I think like you said, Elias, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those clubs now to not vote yes on this because it looks so, so horrible. But there are also the other 14 clubs in the Premier League who are going to be livid about this. And I I think this exact version of the proposal will not go through. But as some stuff that that I've read and, and stuff I've listened to, it seems more likely than not that at least some of this will go through in some version. But yeah, this is a scary 
proposal to even throw out, honestly, even if it's not going to go through the intentions behind it are still, still seem like horrifyingly clear. Yeah. They're not even hiding exactly what they're trying to do. Right. Like it's, it's very apparent that they're trying to consolidate power at the top. So I think that's what should scare people the most, but I do have faith that this will not go through for the reasons I just stated around, around, um, fan cons- I guess the consolidation of fan power in England. So I have faith. I hope this does not go through. Good Lord. If it does, that is horrible, horrible for English football. Um, but Hey, maybe we'll get more La Liga fans, which I won't hate. So I'll take that. But anyway, Rian, let's take a quick break. We'll be talking about the champions league for recap in a little bit and, uh, digesting project big future. <laughs> So, Rian, as football slowly comes back and even as some fans and small groups get to come back for uh, for some matches, both in the international break or during it and in Spain, at least, we got to look towards the Champions League. And there are so many, as we love to say, narratives in this year's Champions League, starting off even in the group stages. Rian, the most obvious one, of course, was... Juventus and Barcelona being paired up in the Champions League group stages. There are so many good matchups in the group stages. I mean, you have Chelsea Sevilla, you have PSG United, you have Leipzig Liverpool, excuse me, uh, Ajax Liverpool. I, I mean, there are a ton. Real Inter, right? So many in the group stages that it's it's very very juicy. So let's start with the obvious one. Ronaldo versus Messi, the narrative that those two don't even like to push, but the rest of the world likes to push. In the Champions League against each other for the first time since the 2011 semifinals, in which Lionel Messi, of course, scored the famous goal at Santiago Bernabeu, assisted by possibly the greatest assist ever in Sergio Busquets. So, Rian, Ronaldo versus Messi, what are your thoughts? Could this be their last dance? And what do you expect? I hope it's not their last dance. You know, it's pop, probably the last time they'll play in the Champions League against each other, considering how long it's taken since the last time. And and I mean, we had a few chances to have them play against each other, right? 2012, um, both of them, <laughs> both teams could have made it to the final and, and yeah, went out in, in pretty uh, tough, tough endings. Uh, 2015, we could have had could have had uh, Real playing Barca in that 2015 final instead of Juventus. Right. And even last, well, no, not maybe not last season, sorry, two seasons ago. Um, yeah, we could have, we could have had, if, uh, if, a, if one team didn't uh, <laughs> kind of blow a lead. <laughs> close. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, no, it, it's, it's going to be so great. It's going to be the last time, almost definitely the last time they play against each other. And I mean, it's, it's weird that we're going to see it happening with Ju- Juventus and Barcelona. I mean, we could have possibly seen it with Manchester city and Barcelona. If they ended up getting, drawn into yeah. this, or sorry, Manchester city and, and Juventus, if they ended up getting drawn to the same, uh, groups. Oh but my God! Stop. <laughs> that would have been the weirdest timeline. It was that, that would have been, been. Yeah, like, it's no rigged doubt. at that point. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But no, it's it's 
gonna be the biggest storyline on each match day that they play. I believe it's match day two and I'm not sure the second time that they play. I believe it's match day five or match day six. Um, It's very much, I think it's either the last one or the second to last one. So yeah, this is definitely a narrative that um, it's almost bittersweet, right? It's two of the greatest players of all time that get to play each other, you know, one final time outside of Classicos, right? We're used to, you know, seeing them in Classicos and going up against each other. It's one of the most entertaining things to watch, but that hasn't been, a, you know, an event that we've been able to witness. And it's something at least, you know, very special for any footballing fan. And I do genuinely hope, of course, we got the news today that Cristiano Ronaldo did pet test positive for the coronavirus in the Portugal camp and was sent home. Um, he is asymptomatic, but that does him potentially in doubt for Juventus's game against Barcelona, their first game, which I believe is at um, the, the stadium in Turin. Um in a couple of weeks' time, in 15 days, I believe exactly. So he's a potentially a doubt for that first game, and hopefully, you know, he isn't. But at the very least, you know, we may have a second game, and and that is going to be extremely entertaining to watch. So I cannot wait um, to see these two again. I mean, they're still playing like top caliber players. Maybe they're not playing like one and two, but they're playing like okay, two and three, like basically it, right? So. Yeah, this this will be special for anyone. Yeah, it's been too long, and who knows? This might be the last chance that Messi gets to to uh, get past Ronaldo in these in the goals record. These next two years are pretty much pretty much it. It's Ronaldo sitting on one thirty Champions League goals, and Messi at one fifteen, and yeah, just, and obviously uh, third best is Raul at 72 and no one close. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're both in line to almost double, if not both double that, that tally, um, which is absolutely nuts. So props to them. I mean, they're on different planets. They just are. And there there's, I mean, the famous quote from Pep Guardiola, right. That's saying, don't talk about Messi, just watch. And I think that goes for Ronaldo too. Just seeing them, you know, throughout their entire careers build up to this, it's it's really really something special. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know in between this game too is the Clasico, so that week for Barcelona fans is going to be either hell on earth or just incredible. So very much looking forward to watching that with you, Rian. But we got some other other you know, fish to fry and, and figuring out who exactly is even going to make it through some of these groups, the group of death, Rian, they're basically, okay. Realistically, there are three potential group of de- groups of death, right? You have group H, you have group D and you have group B. What is your group of death? And I want to hear why. Oh, so, yeah. So just this, sorry, I, I'm going to say, I personally believe that it is group H which I think a lot of people will agree with. The Manchester United, PSG, RB Leipzig. You look at Group D, which sits at Ajax, Atalanta, and Liverpool. Now, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna make the case for a couple for these other two groups. In Liverpool's group, I feel we've touched on Atalanta maybe a couple times um, throughout the last year, but. People are going to be so, so 
happy to watch this team play Liverpool because this is going to be there's there's this will be all vibes. This will be imagine like somewhat somewhat very similar to the Leeds and Manchester City match from last weekend where it was just feelings and, and sensations and the ball going back and forth and chances, goals, as Harry Kane would say. That a lot of that will be happening in Atlanta and Liverpool's game. Um and always you have to have to remember that IX, even though not the same level talent as two years ago, obviously, but this is still one of the best aesthetically pleasing teams in Europe and a team that has a genuine identity and plays beautiful, beautiful soccer. And it will be a lot of fun to watch against Atalanta and Liverpool in the same sense that defending is a part of the game and not <laughs> they acknowledge they acknowledge it Fair. Um, Fair. <laughs> they acknowledge it but those should be all super high scoring games and i hope that people get to watch atalanta more than just their games against uh, liverpool and ix but then the last one is group b which traditionally yeah we would say probably not the group of death because yeah, Gladbach is not on the same historic level as Inter Milan and Real Madrid, and Shakhtar Donetsk is a team that plays in Ukraine. How good can they be? Shakhtar Donetsk make it out, may have made it out of the Champions League group stage every year for the last four years. So that's a team that, even if we don't think that their talent level is at its highest, that's a team that regularly gets out of the group stage and a team that knows how to play Champions League soccer. And you can't discount Gladbach either, the team that finished fourth last season in the Bundesliga. They were second for a lot of the season, but they have a lot of really nice players in Florian Neuhaus and Marcus Thuram, who's a French national team player. Actually doesn't get that many looks for France, but very, very good player. So that Group B might be the most interesting one to me, just... Because I texted Elias after this group kind of got drawn out. And I said, I need to find a place to put money on Real Madrid not making it out of the group stage. Because that's that's going to be the it. most that's it. the most interesting one. That's the most interesting group for me. I don't think it's the group of death. Right. But group B is the most interesting one. Because I genuinely believe that Real Madrid could finish third in that group. Oh, I, th- I think it's entirely possible, especially in a one-off away game at the San Siro in Milan. I-, I think that's entirely possible. Also, this isn't the Real Madrid of 2017, where even if they would go, and I think they actually did play Shakhtar Donetsk in the group stages in 2017. I, I may be wrong on that, but I believe they did. And they somehow found a way to squeak out points away. This isn't that team anymore. I don't know if that team is capable of doing that you know, in their current form. And I still think they're finding their feet, which leads me to believe that, yes, it's possible that they finish third. In my opinion, I think they actually finished second, probably behind either Shakhtar or Inter. I, I still don't know. But I, it's, it's a distinct possibility they finish third. So I think that's, you know, a, certainly a good shout, Group B, for the group of death. But, Rian, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think it's Group H. I just think that, 
the caliber of the teams, right? You have PSG, United, and Leipzig, of, the, of course, the top three. The caliber of those teams is just at another level. And, of course, Istanbul really getting the, the tough end of that that draw in, in the same way that um, – God, I forget the team that Barcelona drew in the group stage of this. Um, last oh, year. Was it, was it like, yeah. Was Slavia, it like, Prague. Prague. Slavia Prague. Slavia Prague. Yeah. That's who yeah. it was. I mean, yeah. Istanbul can't even Istanbul can't even get the money from the added like gate revenues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like wrong. they can uh, bring PSG and United to town and and just cash out from that. But yeah, I mean, you're talking about a team in a Champions League finalist from this past season, a team in United that still has top quality talent relative, you know, to the rest of the Champions League. And of course, Leipzig, one of the incredible talking points from last season and an incredible coach who invests so heavily in, in his youth and his attacking flair in this team. Now, did they lose Timo Werner? Yes. Is Chelsea to blame? Yes. But that doesn't mean that they're not an incredibly well-oiled team and well-oiled machine. And just because they lost their top striker, which I think is already shown in the Bundesliga that yes, it's had an effect, but it's not completely detrimental. So I, I do think that this is a group of group of death, but outside of uh, D and B groups, D and B, I want to highlight group a as well as, as a potential talking point through this, through this contest in the group stages. I mean, you have of course the champions league winners in Bayern Munich, the champions league winners always put in the, the first group. Then you have Atletico Madrid, and Atletico Madrid that has, of course, if you've listened to our La Liga podcast, no, have infuriated Rian to no end. So I don't know what to expect from Atletico Madrid, but in the Champions League, they always, in my opinion, tend to step it up a little bit in comparison to, to La Liga. And of course, Salzburg, one of our favorite teams in Europe, Jesse Marsh, the GOAT himself, the American future, uh, I don't know if I want to call him future U.S. men's national team coach, because uh, that might be a step down for him, honestly, at this point. Um, yeah. But maybe... Jurgen might be coming in. Uh, really? You're going to start that Sorry, whole, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> another day. I, I another you're going to do that, too. But it's for another time. Um, yes, of course, Jesse Marsh, the man who went to Liverpool and seriously put up a fight. So I think there could be one surprise, one surprise from that, that group. And I think it could be one of Atletico um, or Salzburg making and not making the group. I, I think second and third is up for grabs in that. So that's what I would highlight. But this, I mean, I'm really excited for the Champions League group stage. Like every match yeah. is going to have incredible ties. Yeah. So, so Elias, what are your, your thoughts on group H? How do we, how do we see it shaking out? It's, this is a great storylines group because obviously of Manchester United and PSG where United will go into this group potentially having the worst of the four coaches. I think, I think that's honestly, it's really just between him and whoever Istanbul's manager is. So they could potentially have the worst coach in the group, but as we saw the last time United and PSG played, in the Champions League against each each other, United still have that bit of dark magic that can sometimes come in their favor, as we saw. Uh, well, okay, I'm I'm gonna push you on that. I don't know if they have that anymore. 
the re- in my opinion, the reason why United went to Paris and was able to win that tie was because of Lukaku. And I think they had a strong focal point in a striker that got in behind, right? I don't know if if they have a Martial or a Rashford to, to properly do that this time around. And also, might I add, this PSG team is a lot better than that. And they yeah, also have Neymar gonna, on I mean, the field. Yeah, I was going to say, less Lukaku, more um, Gianluigi Buffon in that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who, also who, looked, who really looked like a man that should have been filming a Skechers commercial instead of being <laughs> in, in between the posts in a champions league round of 16 match. Um, and then also obviously the worst handball we've ever seen at the end of that game, get called through VAR, but uh, this is, this is PSG's revenge. And well, well, we all know how PSG is usually very, very quiet. And there's almost never any drama coming out of that club too so i mean it should be so quiet in their games against each other but i i think honestly if i'm if i'm picking who's going first second and third in this group i'm gonna throw my money out on on leipzig as elisa said before i believe i i just i just have more belief in the better coach it will be between Paris and Leipzig, I think, ultimately. But that's where I'm going with who's winning this group. Elias, how about yourself? I think, uh, okay, I, I don't know if it's that up in the air. I, I think this is a PSG just race to first. Like, I, I don't even think it will be close with PSG and the rest of this group. I do think that Leipzig will finish second over Manchester United. I don't think Manchester United get out of the group. But I think PSG are just so far above in caliber, just in terms of talent. And this group has been together for a pretty long time. I would say the core of this group and hasn't really changed minus Cavani. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't foresee PSG having any troubles in this group. I, I honestly. Now, it, it, the interesting thing for me here is. Thomas Tuchel always seems like he's just towing the line of almost getting fired by PSG. Not not even necessarily to anything that he's done specifically, but that's just the moment that PSG are in right now, where they're in that we're trying to win the Champions League at all costs. So if you fuck up for like six months, you're out. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, I would love to see some some props on... What is more likely? Do we see Potch come in for? <laughs> oh my god! What is more likely? Do we see Potch coaching <laughs> one of these two teams before the end of the before the end of the group stage? And and by one of these two teams, I mean <laughs> Manchester United or PSG. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But also, I cannot believe we have gone this long and Pochettino is still free as a manager. That alone should be its own narrative. So. Yeah. Where you at, bro? (laughs) That's another thing. Well, we have a whole podcast to talk about Pochettino. We should, but um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Pochettino is coaching Manchester United before the end of the group stages. So we shall see about that. But as we talk about groups of death, 
we know that this is going to be a very difficult Champions League group stage. We wish, of course, all those teams luck, minus Real Madrid. Rian, the one of the last things that you know we want to wrap up with is the number of Americans that are in the Champions League this season. This is this is the road to 2026. This is how it starts. And we could go on and on about this, but Rian. Give me the names of the 10 Americans in the Champions League. I think, of course, the, the top one on most people's minds will be Sergino Dest after his move to Barcelona, Weston McKinney in Juventus now, and Gio Reyna in, uh, in Dortmund, uh, of course, for Borussia Dortmund. So, Rian, give us the rest. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to start off by saying, I'm, I'm, first off, a little... Um, it's I, I can't believe how happy the national team has been making me in the last year, considering a year ago, I believe we had probably the most depressing podcast episode (laughs) right after the U S lost to Canada. And ever since then, it's been going great. And (laughs) mostly because we haven't had to watch them play very much. So (laughs) it's amazing. Like March came, there was there was supposed to be a some international games, and I think it would have been Gio Reyna's first uh, cap, but that didn't happen. And then Project Restart happened and whatnot, and we saw we saw him play, and we, and we got to see more Americans play. And Pulisic really broke out during that time, and it was it's just like wow, this is all going great. Everyone's doing great. Weston's going to Juventus, and Sergio Des going off to Barcelona. I mean. I couldn't be happier in a time when I could not watch them play and actually very happy that we haven't had to watch them play, but that is not, that is neither here nor there, but uh, the, the, obviously the big highlights of the players that are playing, because obviously these are 10 players who are registered for the group stage, but not all of them will be starting many of these games. Correct. So the big ones being Weston McKinney at Juventus, Virginia Dest, at Barcelona, who we might see get his first start this weekend. Um, Christian Pulisic, who's just coming back for Chelsea. Tyler Adams, who a regular starter under Julian Nagelsmann in um, in uh, Leipzig. And so we'll see him playing against Manchester United and PSG. And you throw in the newest starlet, which is Gio Reyna, who's been lighting it up for the for, uh Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga to start the season here. So those are some big, big names in terms of guys who will be starting regularly in probably every one of those six group stage games, including Weston and Serginho playing against each other in the Champions League group stage. I mean, we can talk as much as we want about Ronaldo and Messi, but like what what I'm really looking at, obviously, (laughs) of course, of course, will be the matchup between Weston and uh, Serginho. And and who knows, maybe Conrad De La Fuente also gets some minutes in those in any of those games. He very well might. Yes, he very well might. Exciting, exciting times, um, especially off the back of I think just a couple days ago, Serginho Des may have accidentally leaked that. The U.S. will be playing some uh, <laughs> national team games <laughs> next yes. month, um, but it'll be purely for just the European-based players, which, I mean, that's those are the players we're most excited for right now right. anyway. So that would be that would be an ideal situation 
Yep. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's very excited for, for, for that, clearly. And I think we all are. So, yeah, exciting times in the UN's, U.S. men's national team camp, especially as it relates to the number of Americans registered in the Champions League. I mean, we are seeing a record number going into Europe, playing in Europe, starring in Europe. And it started with Christian Pulisic. I mean, really, it started with your Tim Howards, uh, excuse me, your Tim Howards of the world, your Landon Donovans, your Clint Dempsey's. But this is another level. This is this is the next level that U.S. soccer needed to go to. And it, it's really, really entertaining. So, of course, we're going to be watching all the Americans in the Champions League. And I, I can't tell you how excited, you know, Rian and, our, Rian and I are about watching them. Get get used to it. It's They will be termed as the golden generation because they genuinely are. And that will be that will be the term that is that is you know stuck to these guys for the next four to six years. And gosh, I can't wait for them to disappoint the hell out of me in six years and not <laughs> be like a fucking mess, most likely. So it's of I'm course. looking forward to it. No, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. The uh, U.S. Canada Mexico World Cup is not too far away, but maybe maybe there's a surprise in Qatar. Who knows? But we'll see. With that, Rian, I think that concludes our podcast for this week. Of course, going over Project Big Future, what a disgust. It's almost as bad as Project Restart. It's almost as bad of a name, but not not yet. So well, that, it's, it's Project Big Picture. I had to say something. All right, give them some <laughs> give them some credit. Okay, they. I know. I know. No, you're right. That's fair. That's fair. So I'll give them that. Going over, of yeah. course, the Champions League recap as well. So. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We will be back next week going over this upcoming weekend's um, Premier League and La Liga games. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.